You're listening to another episode of Cyber Insiders, where cybersecurity is everyone's business. This podcast series features leaders from industry, academia, and government agencies. Now here's your host, Kevin Danino. Thank you for joining Cyber Center of Excellence for Cyber Insiders. This five-part series features a star-studded lineup from industry, academia, and government agencies as we delve into the anatomy of cyber attacks. We'll dissect several of the recent hacks, how they happened, what could have been done differently to present such breaches, and how businesses can mitigate their risk. The first episode will get right to the heart of it as we explore the biggest ransomware attack in recent history and the rise of third-party cybersecurity risks. Welcome back, everyone. Kevin Danino here. Welcome to Cyber Insiders. And I am super excited to uh, delve into a new series where we are going to be talking through really the anatomy of a hack and going through some of the recent hacks that have occurred here and and bringing in some experts to talk through really what happened, what could be improved upon, uh, to give our listeners just more information on on really what could be done differently. Um, and so to that end, I'm really pumped to, to bring back a, a return guest, Tony Anscombe, Global Security Evangelist and Industry Partnership Ambassador at ESET. Tony, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back on the show. It seems like a lifetime ago. So much has happened since uh, I was last last with you. It was a different world. It was definitely a different world. Um, well, good to have you back. And also wanted to introduce Miguel Sampo, who's sales leader and in innovative cybersecurity technologies at RiskRecon, which is a, a MasterCard company. Miguel, really excited to have you on the show here. Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. I'm excited to be uh participating with you guys. Um, I've uh, been in the cyber industry 23 years and uh, I've worked for a few different firms and have done a lot of the cyber disciplines. So uh, it's exciting to be able to share some of the experiences and observations that we're seeing and, uh, and, and what we're dealing with in today's uh, threat landscape. Appreciate that. And, and Tony, I know you were on the first time, but for, our, for any new listeners out there, why don't you give a quick intro on on your background and what what's what's going on at ESET as well. Sure. So I'm uh, the chief security evangelist for ESET, and that involves me talking at conferences and being on podcasts like this, but generally driving awareness and education about cybersecurity as we are a cybersecurity company and our products all the way from consumer all the way through up to big enterprise and EDR type solutions, uh, you know, a big part of cybersecurity actually is awareness and education because so often we hear about cyber attacks happening because of human behavior. So it's important to, to be out there and making sure that people understand how to how to protect themselves, how what the best actions are they can take for their businesses. And uh, yeah, pleased to be back again. All right. Well, so let, let's set the stage, gentlemen. So we are we are really gonna be diving into the Kaseya hack that occurred in last month in, in early July, uh, which, which was really one of the largest ransomware attacks that we've seen. Um, it ended up in, infecting over 1,500 small businesses around the world um, and also carried a ransom note of 70 million. And so, Tony, I want to start with you. Let's start with, tell our listeners really what happened. So this attack happened on July the 2nd. Now, 
we should step back on Casera, a company uh, uh, who provides services to other companies. So they're kind of at the top of the, the triangle, so to speak. And then below them, you have something called MSPs, managed service providers, and below them are more customers. So they provide some software that allows you to manage your endpoints. Uh, so patching software, deploying security architecture on the endpoints. So it has this trust relationship with an endpoint product. Now, unfortunately, what happened was bad actors uh, got into the Kaseya system uh, through uh, by, by bypassing authentication. They used what's called a zero-day vulnerability, so an unknown issue in the Kaseya VSA software. Uh, and once they were in and they had uh, an authenticated session, then they could deploy their nastiness, which in this case was to push down ransomware through this network, this triangle of other companies below their software. So this is a supply chain attack because companies are using this, the Kaseya software, and in effect, the, the bad guy was infecting their software to get to other companies. Not dissimilar to other supply chain attacks. And I can tell you now, you know, in the last year, we've seen an increase actually in supply chain attacks generally. So this is just one of them. Appreciate that. And and Miguel, kind of kind of playing off of Tony's point, you know, the the hack impacted you know, some some significant companies here. I mean, we're talking IBM, Accenture, et cetera, and a and a you know, a boatload of of, of small businesses as well. Um, you know, I, I if you could share some color in terms of you know, maybe talking through some of the impacted parties from the attack and uh, as well as sort of, you know, kind of how they made their way via um, being a, a managed service provider as well. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me on here. So, you know, I'd like to start off with that to Tony's point with right? this is back in July. July was a rough month when we think about some of the ransomware attacks. Kaseya was very similar to SolarWinds, which we saw back in November. And then not that long ago, there was the Colonial Pipeline, right? So there's been several of these attacks. And then from this group as well, not that long ago, we had the JBS, uh, the meat supplier from Brazil that was also impacted, right? And, and when we look at it, this is an attack that in under two seconds, you know, a piece of software, or a piece of mal, mal code wreaked havoc on potentially... I think the number that Tony shared was about 1,500 global businesses. And, and when we dissect that, it's about millions of individual systems, right? So when we look at it from a scale perspective, much larger, right? And, and, and they exploited a known common vulnerability, what we call CVE, right? There was a known CVE that was exploited, and that's how, how they were able to use that hack to, to get there. Um, sounds somewhat simple, right? But uh, the, the basis being that it goes back and it makes us think about, you know, what we could do from a preventative perspective, how we protect ourselves, et cetera. But uh, a lot of these companies across the board, right, there wasn't anybody that was immune. Uh, as Tony mentioned, there was, you know, anywhere from small businesses to medium-sized businesses to full-on enterprises across the board were impacted. Um, and so, and, and some of these companies, you know, we know there was a, a supermarket chain in Sweden that was completely shut down 100%, right? All their cash registers went down and they couldn't tra transact. And so it's not only the effect of 
the virus, but also the livelihood and the cost to to operating and, and doing businesses also that that need to be taken into perspective when a large scale um, malware attack or, or ransomware attack is is put forth. Yeah, I mean, just the, the range here of impacted impacted businesses, whether, you know, enterprise level, but, you know, the grocery store chain, a great point. I mean, you know, kind of imagine imagine being there and, and seeing what's happened. I'm sure, you know, it creates it creates some some nervous situations, um, no doubt. So so let's talk a little bit more about kind of who's behind this. Right. And so there's a, you know, a lot of reporting that's that's come out of this around a, a Russian speaking group called Revil or R, capital R-E-V-I-L, which is known as ransomware evil um, that that kind of claims to be, you know, behind this as well um, in this hack, too. And so, you know, Tony, just knowing sort of ESAT being in the in the cybersecurity space would lo- would love a little bit more color just, you know, on this group. You know, who are these guys in terms of threat actors? How do you think they gained access and and started to distribute this software that was malicious to get into Kasaya's customers and systems? You know, tell us a little bit more in terms of, you know, Revil, I'll call them, R-E-V-I-L, this, this group that was behind the hack. Firstly, I think people name some of these groups to uh, confuse us when we have to pronounce them. <laughs> uh, so I'm with you there. It's I think yeah. it's Revil as well. Um, yeah. But let, firstly, I think let's talk about the business model of this is actually ransomware as a service. So you have a number of different groups in, in the world who in effect have developed the malicious code. And not only have they developed the malicious code, they've developed an entire back-end solution so you have to think of this as a software business. They've developed code that, in effect, once you once you stick it on the endpoint or whatever it is you stick it on, it's going to encrypt it and lock the system. Um, but they've also developed the back end that will ex- help exfiltrate data from the system you're about to encrypt before you encrypt it. And a dark web system that will publish part of it uh, and potentially auction it off and sell it. So this is this is a software company, um, and maybe you know company is it could be the wrong you know, it could be the wrong word to describe them, um, but you know I think we have to think of it that way. So this is a soft, software company selling ransomware to affiliates. So when we hear of a rival attack like this, it means somebody else. Somebody below them has actually carried out the attack and is using them to provide the service. Uh, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Think of them as the, the MSP. Yeah, they're the MSP for, for ransomware, maybe. Um, but it's it's who was in the middle, we don't know. Yeah, I think that's very unclear. I, don't, I haven't seen anything in the media or anything published by any of the, the authorities of who was who was actually behind the the actual attack, and it was using this service. And these services typically, t- yeah, re- they split revenue. They split revenue 70, 30, 80, 20, something like that with the affiliates. So they're taking twenty to thirty percent of the money that's actually gained if somebody actually does pay. Um, but it makes it simpler for the person who's carrying out the attack to actually leverage 
somebody else's infrastructure once you're in to actually use their their bad tools you know it, it's it this is a for-profit business right i mean that's the that's the wild part and i appreciate that tony and so you know, I, I know there were some reports that, you know, the, the group was was looking for 70 million in Bitcoin in a deal in terms of extortion and in terms of what they were asking for and their demand ransom um, as well. I'm not sure, um, Tony or Miguel, if, if we know in terms of what the, the final amount that was that was kind of received, if you will, um, from that. Do we do we know any further color? Gentlemen, in terms of uh, on that front? Not from my research, Kevin. I, I don't have an exact figure. The last number I had was 70 million and that it was going to be paid out, right? And and the other thing that we don't know is we do know that that this ransomware also went after a specific customers as well, not just uh, Casilla, right? Uh, they also went after actual individual customers and we don't know how much they paid as well or if anything's been paid. So. I think that figure will will be sliding or moving for a little bit. The other component too is that we know that in June, as I mentioned, there's been some connections. According, I, I was doing some research with the FBI um, and also with the CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, and they were saying that they're pretty pretty sure that this is the same group that was connected with uh, Meatpacker JBS, which was an 11 million dollar demand. Uh, in June as well, right? And and as Tony mentioned, Darkside was in that and a couple of the other things, even though this one attacked in the US, you know, it's spread or breadth and depth is global um, across the board. So it's hard to say if we'll know exactly what that figure will be. Do you know, Tony, if it's been more than 70 million at this point? No, I I think Kasaya actually got hold of a decryptor from a third party, as I recall. So I, I think there was some uh, some decryption tools came from somewhere else. So I'm not sure. I don't think they ever disclosed whether there was any payment or how they actually uh, got hold of the, the decryption tools. Yeah, I would agree with you. The other thing I'd like to add, Kevin, is that anytime that we look at it, you know, I, I hate to use the word a terrorist attack. It's a cyber terrorist attack, right? Um, where they're, they're using extortion to some degree. And, and the problem is, you know, they, they get this, these monies or these payments, and then what are those monies used for? And that's the other, that's another conversation for another time. But I can tell you that the organization I work for today, um, you know, we're really cognizant about in, you know, in the cybercrime world, you know, it's billions of dollars and how that money is used to fund other illegal activities. And that's the bigger concern for us today is a fact from, aside from the fact that there's downside and, and, and downtime with these things, but, you know, that money that that's taken is used for other criminal activities as well, Kevin. And that's another concern. Yeah, I mean, there's there's concerns galore. I mean, being able to kind of pair with, you know, nation states that, you know, aren't friendly um, with the US and other democratic nations is also an issue. And um, I think the wild part is just the lack of transparency or knowing how much, you know, money and or crypto is being transacted in these deals. Um, you know, there's there's data out there that, you know, this is a huge business. Global ransomware losses are, are totaling 20 billion. That's with a B. Um, and, and my guess is that number is going to, you know, double or triple um, as well. And so I, I want to I want to continue the conversation here down the road of, you know, so the hack happens. Right. Um, 
you know, it's in process, demands are met, but then, you know, Kaseya in this case, as the, as the managed service provider has to respond, right? And so, um, you know, Tony, how did, how did Kaseya respond to this hack? And were there things that you think they, that could have been done differently in the aftermath that may have minimized the impact to their internal networks, as well as the, the customer's systems as well? Well, we don't. We never know, do we, of exactly what goes on behind the scenes. But to my understanding, they actually shut. Yeah, you know, they shut down their own uh, their own SaaS VSA servers, and they communicated to customers to shut down their VSA servers as well. Uh, and they they used, to my understanding, every mechanism they possibly could to actually tell people to shut these down. Now, what? You know, did they do everything they could? I, I think that's a long, a much longer conversation and post-mortem, maybe in a year's time when everybody understands far more what happened behind closed doors. But should they be should they have been looking at anomalies in traffic on their own network? Mm-hmm. Probably their, their own security teams probably could have could have been looking for the anomaly of having a connection from a strange source. I so uh, and that's some of the some of the cybersecurity log data, if you want, for a better word, that you need to be looking at on a daily basis in an in a an environment such as the Casar environment. Yeah, and, and I know ESET put out you know sort of a postmortem recap where they identified victims in in at least seventeen countries. So I mean this this was not a this was not a small or localized you know, attack by any means, very much global in nature um, as well. And it also it also highlights really, you know, when you get third-party software involved, um, it starts to highlight some of the weaknesses between third-party players when you when you start to move down the the digital supply chain. Um, and so, Miguel, I wanted to I wanted to ask you just when you start to involve third parties. Etc. In this process, within the supply chain, etc. Like, what are some of the measures that that companies can and should implement that would really help to prevent, or in some cases, mitigate a, a ransomware attack? Yeah, Kevin. Great question. And let me let me start off and let me backtrack for a second. So, whenever whenever we think about a supply chain attack, um, or we think about ransomware. We know today that ransomware is a crime of opportunity that will look to exploit vulnerabilities within single IT systems um, or or target a specific IT supply chain, right? And so from that perspective, I can tell you that to pull off an attack of that magnitude, we know that the the bad actors or the cyber criminals here had studied the software for for some time and, and, and leveraged it. To, to conduct their, their attack and, 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 and go deep, right? So it was definitely coordinated from that perspective. And so when we think about third parties or we think about the supply chain from, from that perspective, there's a couple of things. One, I, I mean, I, I wish there was a tool that would predict everything. If we did, if we had a tool like that, um, we'd be buying some lotto tickets, Kevin, and we'd be sitting on some beach, <laughs> sipping on some drinks with nice little umbrellas in it, right? But, but having said that, there are some things that we can do to be preventative, right? And so the days of, you know, these guys doing things for notoriety, th- th- those days are gone. 
the days of just an, an antivirus client and just the firewall are gone. When cybersecurity program owners are looking at their programs, they've got to look at security in layers. And so to answer that question, I would tell you, as we look at third-party software and the supply chain, some of the measures that we can do is understand, aside from the tools that you use today for your organization, you need to look at your vendors and what risks do your vendors introduce potentially to your business. And the great news is that there's several tools out there, right? MasterCard has a portfolio of tools, and one of those happens to be Risk Recon, where we can analyze uh, the third-party vendor uh, list, right? We call it TPRM, where we can take a look at that and, and look at the cyber hygiene or cyber health uh, of a vendor or any organization for that. It could be your own organization for that matter, and understand from a public IP footprint what that looks like, right? Do you have systems that are exploitable, do you have systems that are vulnerable? And if you do, we, we need to take, you know, we need to take steps to mitigate that and, and reduce that risk. And so I, I know that's a, a long-winded way of answering the question, but really what it comes down to is let's understand where there's additional risk that's posed to our organization um, and go about, you know, collaborating and, and, and remediating those risks so that we can avoid having vulnerabilities that can be exploited that lead to things like these ransomware and other type of cyber attacks, Kevin. Appreciate so, the insight, Miguel. Tony, any, any follow-on thoughts to that? Well, yes, I, I'd just like to, to add to that because when we look at, you know, 1,500 SMB-type businesses uh, uh, affected, you know, some of these businesses probably thought that they were doing exactly the right thing by using an MSP. So you go to those some of those businesses and they don't have the resource internally to manage their own environment. So they outsource it to a trusted party, an MSP. And that MSP is using this particular flavor of software to provide a service. Now, in this instance, this, this software that was being used is what I'd define as... It, I mean, it's the keys to the safe software because it's the agent that sits on the endpoint and that, that agent is going to do, you know, patch your software, it's going to manage the software on your endpoint, it's going to provide the security software. So it's kind of an all-in-one embracing endpoint. So it has this trust relationship with the endpoint. So for the CEO of that SMB who'd outsourced it, he, they probably sat back slightly and said, We've got a trusted partner in here, and they're doing this, and it's it's a big company, it's Kaseya, and they have thousands of you know hundreds of thousands of customers around the world, and to a certain degree, I'm sympathetic to those SMP businesses. It, that that doesn't mean, um, you know, there's nothing else they should be doing. I mean, they should be. They should have you know, crisis management plans, they should have um, backup solutions, and they should be continually testing those backup solutions. But my point here, Kevin, is I actually feel really sorry for those SMB customers who probably sat thought they had done the right thing. Yeah, Betty, I, I, I like to augment that. I think you're spot on. And, you know, I think that as we look at the landscape, it's, it's changing, right? It's evolving. And and, and like I mentioned earlier, the days of just, you know, one, two, three in our security program isn't enough, right? We got to go a, a layer deep, right? Or a layer deeper. And I think being able to have tools that give you additional visibility outside of your own organization, even if you're relying on an MSP, 
I think is critical, right? It's easy for us to say in hindsight mm-hmm. today, right? But I think that having additional tools that give us additional visibility to other parts or other components of risk are going to be critical or, or integral to having that, that more robust security program, Kevin. Yeah, Miguel, you, you touched on you touched on something interesting, and and you know, and and Tony did as well relative to, to small businesses, et cetera. The reality too is a lot of these MSPs, you know, have marketing language that you know utilizes words like military grade security, et cetera. And so, as a you know, as a small business owner or a, you know, a small enterprise, you know, you're you're thinking you're in good hands here. Um, and so, I think Tony, you touched on it in terms of, you know, answering my question here, in terms of what additional steps, whether it's backups, additional testing, et cetera. Is there, is there anything else that stands out, um, Tony, in terms of recommendations for a, you know, for an SMB that, that might not have a CISO, that might not have, you know, an unlimited security budget beyond backups and testing that can, um, that can kind of help in this, in this situation? Well, one, obviously, um, there are things that any SMB should be doing that are good practice of password management, of multi-factor authentication, but those are things about them being attacked themselves directly, But and those are great things for them to be doing, but when working with a provider like this, they, you need to have done your homework, you need to have made sure, as uh, Miguel said, you know, made sure that you're minimizing risk, make sure, make sure that you've looked at all the risk that using an MSP and the software that MSP is going to be using, make sure that it's not increasing your risk. The one thing I'd say is, is you know, that backup and restore scenario, I'd actually run an entire scenario. If I ran a small business at some stage, I think I would actually push the button on a Saturday morning when the business may not be fully operational and turn and say, okay, we've been hit by ransomware. What do we do now? Mm-hmm. And actually test the internal systems and make sure, one, you know who's responsible for what, know what your MSP is going to be doing, how they're going to be reacting to it. Make sure you know how you're going to communicate to your customers and run a full practice scenario. I love that practical and something that every business owner should do. So appreciate that, Tony. Um, and so now that that really kind of Kevin, I'm sorry. Let, let me let me add to that. So I I, I I love where Tony went with that, right? So yeah. so I actually look at it in four steps because I actually just went through something similar. And you know, I, the first question is protecting yourself against ransomware. Absolutely, backups are going to be key, but but make sure that your backups are ransomware resistant, right? That, that you've taken steps from an encryption perspective, things of that nature that, that help you from that ransomware uh, note. Uh, segmenting your IT environment is another one. Uh, Tony mentioned multi-factor authentication, and then he also mentioned testing. Absolutely. I think every organization that owns a security program and, and even may even have a retainer in place should also still do incident response plan, right? An IRP and do uh, you know tabletop exercises and go through early detection uh, response programs as well. And then from a third party risk perspective, I think every organization absolutely, even if you rely on an MSP or you are an SMB, you need to evaluate uh, your current cyber risk and assess your, your cyber risk by looking at your third party exposure um, and then taking immediate action, uh, corrective actions on any vulnerabilities that you find. I mean, we all know today that that one of the largest vectors for this exploitation is these vulnerabilities are exploiting the vulnerability. So if you know you have vulnerabilities that are out there, 
uh, and could be causing some you know poor cyber hygiene, you got to take action. You can't wait. Um, and so that, that's what I'll add. That's my two cents to that as well, Kevin. Well, and can, can I just add to you, Mikhail? We should explain when when we say a safe back. When we say when we're both saying a safe backup, I always think of uh, yeah. I started life as a programmer, and I remember the van pulling up outside of the building, and once a day you gave them the backup tape. <laughs> Iron Mountain, totally get it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So so let's be clear. When we talk about a safe backup, we mean an offline backup. Yes, because a, a backup that the actual ransom, the bad actor, can't get to. So that it can be going, it can be collected from the guy in the van, which I know is not not happens and doesn't happen these days. But it should be an offline backup, not a real time backup. Yeah, absolutely. The, the four components, Kevin, that I had were, you know, protect yourself against the ransomware, protect against third party risk, create a systemic, you know, security improvements, and then take steps to ensure that, uh, you know, the last one that, and, and that's another conversation, but. Can you get cyber insurance, right? That's the last one, and, and I'll leave it at that. I, yeah, you know, that was funny because I was going to say, having gone through this process for, for my business, was just a straight-up question of, guys, is cyber insurance really, is it worth it for an SMB? Um, you know, is it, you know, in this case, is it just a nice, it's just a nice to have in case something does happen, right? Uh, well, I, it's it's it, it's nice to have when you need it, right? <laughs> but when you're getting the premiums, you're not may not be as happy about it. But I think I think you need to evaluate the nature of your business, what you do, um, and then you know think about brand reputation, think about intellectual property, what's at risk, and then you know that organization itself can make that determination. But I tell you that in the world that I live in and that I play in every day uh, with my clients, absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't drive my car without insurance. Let me put it that way. Great analogy. So um, I know we're we're getting tight on time here. So I've, you know, I've, I've saved the best question here for last, and um, we'll we'll start with Tony here. You know, we we all want to know. You know, can can the good guys ever get ahead and and stay ahead of the of the bad actors here? And so you know, Tony, really, what is the future of these ransomware attacks going to look like? And can we ever prevent? sort of the next Kaseya shutdown from happening? Well, we say, what you don't hear about is how many ransomware attacks get thwarted and how many of these incidents don't happen because actually there is good technology, companies do have good process, et cetera, in place. We only ever hear about the ones that are unfortunately successful. Um, one thing I'd like to see happen is actually more regulation around this. You know, Miguel said it right up at the start of uh, this podcast around, you know, these payments are funding cyber criminals. They're buying more resource and they're funding them to become more sophisticated, get more resources, uh, et cetera. You know, the funding needs to stop. And actually, I, th I like there's a bill currently going through the Australian Parliament that I, I kind of like the look of, the ransomware bill, which actually means you'd have to have mandatory reporting. So you'd have to tell a regulator that you've, you're going to pay a ransomware attack. Now, I'd love to see something like that come in here in the US where a company that gets hit with ransomware has to go to the regulator and it's a discussion with the regulator of, you know, are there known decryptors? Are there other ways around this? How long will it take you to recover? And whether the payment should actually happen. Take the money out of the crime 
and actually the criminals will go find something else to do. Spot on. Uh, I, Tony, that was so well said. I mean, if if they're not making a profit, then they wouldn't then they won't make the attack, right? I mean, it's, at the end of the day, that's it. And 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 the sad part about it though is that as long as you know these systems continue to be exploitable and vulnerable, there's gonna be groups that 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 form new groups, you know, regrouping of of Revel and others, right? That we've seen over. I mean, this is not new. This has been going on for a long time. Um they're going to continue to do it, unfortunately, Kevin. That's the downside. And 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 can we get in front of these guys? I, I don't know about that. I think we're always playing catch up to some degree. But but there are steps that we can take to be diligent and help protect ourselves. If we don't do those, we can only blame ourselves. And you got you both made great points, right? In that it's this is a business, really, like you said. And taking the money out of the equation, I think, is a big part of it. And yeah, I think to. Tony and, and, and Miguel would love to see the U.S. enact that sort of regulation. Um, you know, fingers crossed that we, we get to a point on that front. Um, you guys are both awesome. This was a, this was a really cool conversation. Um, I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it. Um, there's definitely no shortage of, of news on this front. So, so thank you both again uh, for being part of the program. And I, I want to just promo our next episode because we're, we're, we're continuing this series in terms of dissecting uh, a recent hack. And we're going to get into the healthcare side of things. And we'll be bringing on guests from Northwest Harbor and TRFC Enterprises that will break down the recent increase in cyber attacks in the healthcare space. So um, I do want to point out, though, there is a, a great resource on the CCOE website. Uh, we do have a breach guide um, on sdccoe.org, so do check that out, particularly if you're a small business owner and in need of uh, some guidance on that front. And thank you for listening, everyone, and please do check out sdccoe.org for more resources and talk to you, hopefully, um, on our next episode. Take care, all. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Stay safe. Thanks. Thank you, everybody. Take care, guys.